This week's podcast brought to you by Mouse Ears and Cold Beers. While at Disneyland this last week on vacation, our 10-year-old son decided that he could leave us and find the new Star Wars section of the park on his own, to which his 8-year-old sister scoffed and said, you got lost in the hotel. There's no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. We're back from vacation. Do you feel refreshed, Rebecca? I am. Um... No, but I think the reason I don't feel particularly refreshed is because we were in the Pacific time zone, and I think it's just going to take us a little while to get back to the Eastern time zone. Six of us in a rented minivan sharing hotel beds and um, tromping around, tromping, tramping, stomping around Disneyland didn't refresh you? No, it was a terrific vacation, but I wouldn't call it a refreshing vacation. Um, I told you this. It's It's weird. I can go for a jog and my knee is fine. I can do a bunch of different things and my my, knee, my legs are fine. Walking around Disney, probably because you do it for so many hours, just takes its toll on my body. I end up with these big swollen knees after a day of uh, walking around an amusement park. Similarly, sitting on a bench waiting for all of you to get off rides at Disneyland takes a toll on my body. I, I know. <laughs> you poor thing. You you you. I don't know if you don't like rides. Your body no longer likes rides. And so uh, so the kids and I go off, go on rides, and you just sit there in the heat and wait for us to return. I get motion sick on the swing set in our backyard. So I, it um, one ride I went on at Universal City, we were in Los Angeles. We were in Southern California. Well, I should tell people who may not, uh, may not be aware of our private vacation plans. Um, and uh, we went to a lot of amusement parks, as you do when your kids are eight through fourteen. And but I get seasick on, I get motion sick on the swing set in our backyard. And if you're paying me to go on a on a cruise or a zero gravity flight, I will do that. But uh, when I'm paying you, I, I I prefer not to go on amusement park rides at this point. I loved them as a kid. Well, you should probably explain what you mean by if you're paying you to do these things because you've written about... I've, I've done them for pay, yes, as a journalist. And, and I once did a long story for Sports Illustrated uh, on roller coasters. And I had the, uh, the pleasure, in quotation marks, of riding a dozen roller coasters in a day at uh, Cedar Point in Sandusky, Ohio. And then that was broken up by having a meal with like the PR guy there in the, in the park. But but no, I don't I don't like to do them electively. I like that now. Instead, you pay to sit on a bench in the park and wait for your kids to finish riding their and, rides. Uh, while I'm doing that, I should say first of all, we we've so we flew out to Los Angeles uh, a week and a half ago, and we had an early morning. the The one direct flight from Hartford is at six thirty in the morning, so we were all up at four thirty, 
and it was six fifteen. I think was it the was six fifteen. Right? Yeah, we're all up at four thirty, and we're through security at five thirty. And you were in line at Duncan at Duncan in Bradley Airport. There's a long line at that hour, and I, I noticed while sitting there observing, as I did it would later do with the parks, there was a guy, older guy in a sh- t-shirt that said uh, "periodic drinker," and it had a periodic table of the elements, but the but the two biggest tiles were the B E and the E-R consecutively. And I just, it it set off a theme on the trip of people advertising on T-shirts their impending drunkenness in a place that you wouldn't ordinarily associate with drunkenness. And I'm talking about the airport and Disneyland. What uh, What are some of the other shirts that you saw? Well, as I sat on a bench waiting for you to get off rides, I saw, you know how people customize T-shirts at Disney? So, you know, yeah. we're the so-and-so family and we're all, it's, it's my like birthday. mom, dad, brother. The kids and I were actually on a, on a ride with a, a family and it was father, mother, and brother were on the shirts. I saw a guy wearing a shirt that said, this is m- one of my favorites, mouse ears and cold beers. Was that a customized shirt? Or of course. What? They don't sell beer at Disneyland, much less t-shirts advertising your... Mouse ears and cold beers. Was mouse there also a beers. picture of mouse ears? Uh, I, yes. And um, another guy had, you know, the Walt Disney signature that is everywhere? Yeah. That's the Disney logo, the Walt Disney stylized signature. A guy had what looked like Walt Disney's signature, but when you look at it more closely, it didn't say Walt Disney. It said malt whiskey. <laughs> And he was wearing that in the park. In the park. And I saw another guy wearing a T-shirt, really not unique, nothing uh, Disney-specific about it, but he was wearing it at Disney, and it said, busy getting dizzy. (laughs) Are you sure it didn't say busy getting Disney? Uh, It it should have said busy getting Disney, but it said busy getting dizzy. So you saw all of these different shirts advertising people's impending drunkenness. I should, since, of course, uh, Disney owns ESPN, I should get the shirt Mouse Ears and Cold Beers and wear that to work sometime in Bristol at, at ESPN and see how it goes over. I bet it would go over really well there. <laughs> it, it reminds me of the classic Simpsons line when Homer was buying all kinds of, uh, to avoid buying something that was not embarrassing. He was buying all kinds of things that were embarrassing, like uh, a Playboy and a carton of butts and something else and f- fireworks and something else. And when he brings them all home in a paper bag, Marge says, Homer, I don't know what you have planned for this evening, but count me out. <laughs> so when you show up in the mouse ears and cold beers t-shirt, I think I would say the same you thing. You think that would be throwing off that vibe? Uh, but and, and then we were also at um, Universal in, in Los Angeles, the Universal theme park and studios, and they do sell beer. And and I I actually had an $11 Bud Light while I was watching you guys, waiting for you guys to get off various rides. And um, there's just something about beer in an amusement park that it just seems so inappropriate. And I, and I felt a mild shame while I was while I was drinking my my $11 Bud Light, both for the cost of it and for the setting. Well, because most people aren't like you. Most people aren't having a beer on a hot day just most waiting also- for their family to get off a ride. Most are, you know, drinking a beer and then going on a ride. And that just can't be a good combination. Um, 
or you know having a beer when there's at a place that is i don't know i would say over 50 percent children is also not a good thing most people aren't like me and most people don't like me but uh, i want to read just long before we we even contemplate opening up the viewer mailbag i just want to read a piece of viewer mail that seems relevant to this and it's uh, from Megan. Megan writes, Hi, Rebecca and Steve. I had to laugh hearing you talk about zoo beers as I recently attended a beer festival at a zoo. Brew at the zoo is becoming a popular event at a lot of zoos, and adults basically get drunk and look at zoo animals after hours. <laughs> okay. That's from Megan. I, and I bet a zoo is a cool place to be in the evening, especially, you know, in the summer. I mean, cool meaning cool and that's the time of night but, that you would you'd want to be there i suppose and but after hours suggests that it's not you know rife with strollers and and um toddlers um except that still it's it is a little weird you think a little cuz i'll say this i've we've gone to the zoo a handful of times a couple different zoos with our kids and and i've enjoyed the experience of going to the zoo with the kids i have zero interest in going to a zoo and looking at animals if there's not a kid with me. If one of our, you know, oh, look, you look at the camel, look at this, look at that when you're with your children. I have zero interest in looking at those animals if I'm not with with our kids. But if you had to look at animals without your kids, would you want to do so drunk? <laughs> I, if I, in what world would I have to look at animals without my children? That just... um. It's not. It's not appealing to me. I'm. I'm sure it's a delightful experience for many, but I don't think it would be a delightful experience for me. Well, I. I just. I did make some notes uh, on our trip, and one of our daughters, our eldest daughter's obsessions was getting a picture of, of herself with the Hollywood sign. Right. And if anybody knows the placement of the Hollywood sign, you pretty much have to go up to it to get that picture. Uh, it's either. You can see it fine, the person and the Hollywood sign from various vistas around Los Angeles. But if you want the person in it, the sign is, you can't read it. And if you want the sign, then the person is won't be in it. And your quote, privately, during all of this uh, I don't remember what logistics this is, was, so. is there anything more disappointing than the Hollywood sign? <laughs> Well, it's true. And she had these visions in her head of what the Hollywood sign was going to be from seeing it on television shows or in movies. And I just remember the first time seeing the Hollywood sign, like, it looks like, you know, plywood that somebody's painted and thrown up on the side of the Hollywood Hills. It's not a particularly majestic sign. That's on the contrary, sure. it's, a, it's a cheap, cheap looking thing that is almost uh, a perfect symbol of, of Hollywood. We, uh, it is pretty remarkable. I'm going to rewind a little bit. It's pretty remarkable that we can go from one side of the country to the other. We, we landed before 9 a.m. L.A. time, of course, because of the time change. We were in L.A. before 9 a.m. on the same morning that we, we flew out. And, it, uh, it, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's crazy. crazy. By the way, this has nothing to do with that, but I also saw a T-shirt at Universal, and I think this was my favorite T-shirt of the trip, that said, don't bro me if you don't know me. <laughs> How old was the person who was wearing the shirt? He was Just uh, curious. probably 20. That would be a great shirt for like a, a grandpa to be wearing. 
don't bro me if you don't know me. So you mentioned we flew in before arrived before 9 a.m. So we got up at 4.30 in the morning, Eastern time. We arrived in Los Angeles, 9 a.m. local time, and then we couldn't check into a hotel until 4 p.m. So we had to keep the kids up and at them all day, went to the beach. and Went had, to, as our younger kids put it, the playground. They were fascinated by the playground, which, of course, was Muscle Beach. Muscle Beach in Santa Monica <laughs> at Santa Monica Pier. and But I had to keep myself and our two oldest kids awake until 1 a.m. Pacific time the next day. So we were up for what? 24? Minus 3. No, be. no, no, no. We were up at 4 a.m. Eastern time, oh, which is so also, it was, it was 24 hours. 24 hours. So we had to keep ourselves up 24 hours because the night that we arrived, we arrived early in the morning and that night I took our two oldest to um, see Paul McCartney at Dodger Stadium, which he came on about 8.45 p.m. and was went off at, you know, we got back to the hotel around midnight. And uh, our oldest daughter, in addition to wanting to see the Hollywood sign, kept saying that this is, first of all, both kids, big Beatles fans, fans of Paul McCartney, fans of 60s and 70s music. And our oldest daughter, however, kept setting herself up for disappointment by saying this is his last stop on the tour. It's Los Angeles. I think he's going to bring out a special guest. He's going to say, ladies and gentlemen, and then he's going to bring somebody out. And so we started to refer to this as her ladies and gentlemen moment that she was waiting for. And as the concert wore on, no, wore on, as the concert proceeded with, with uh, great goosebump-inducing moments in this beautiful setting of Dodger Stadium on a beautiful night, it became increasingly clear that was that there was going to be no ladies and gentlemen moment. And in fact, the non-encore part of the concert concluded with, hey, Jude, everybody's singing. I mean, it didn't, it didn't require a ladies and gentlemen moment at that moment. He'd already played uh, a Blackbird, you know, under, under what presumably was a starry sky, if you were able to see the stars near downtown Los Angeles. He played uh, Hey Jude, and I'm sorry, he played uh, uh, Let It Be, and I got both of my arm, forearms went numb, and I, for a moment, was worried that I was having a stroke, but then realized that I was just enormously content. And then the concert concluded with Hey Jude and 60,000 people of every age. There were there were toddlers there, and there were you know people there in their 80s um, singing along. And then his encore, I, I forget what opened the encore, but then he said, after the first song of the encore, ladies and gentlemen... Ringo Starr, and the place went crazy, and our 14-year-old, who was screaming as if this were Beatlemania in 1964, like grabbed me by what would be my lapels if I had lapels, and said, I told you, I told you, and and she was right, and I, and I, I couldn't believe it, and uh, at the end of the encore, when he's literally playing the end, and we were sprinting around Dodger Stadium from the inside because our car was parked on the opposite side of where we were sitting and we wanted to be close to the exit when the concert ended, he brought out Joe Walsh. So we have two Beatles and an Eagle. Joe Walsh and Ringo Starr are married to sisters, by the way, uh, 
on in the outfield at Dodger Stadium, and it was it was uh, it was one of the more memorable nights of my life. Joe Walsh and Ringo Starr are brothers-in-law. Yes, Joe Walsh. Ringo Starr is married to Barbara Bach. Barbara Bach's sister is Joe Walsh's wife. I mean, that's not my main takeaway from the story you just told, but but I didn't know that. Well, um, I have to say, because when we were planning this trip to L.A., and you did almost all of the planning, the original idea was to go out on Sunday. And then I said to you, why don't you see if there's any, you know, concerts in town or if there's anything going on? And you looked and you saw that. Paul McCartney was playing on Saturday night, and I was the one who encouraged us to go out early so you that you could take did. our older daughters to And that was a great gift. You absolutely did. And and um, our 12-year-old, who took a few guitar lessons in the spring and then kind of put the guitar down, and, and nobody does practices any music over the summer. I certainly didn't take a piano out with me to Los Angeles. Um, our 12-year-old said to me, Throughout the first part of the concert, she wants to learn to play Blackbird. And I said, you know, that's really hard. It's so hard that Paul McCartney didn't play it live for, for years and years until his daughter talked him into playing it. And he said he didn't play it because it's too hard to play. Um, and McCartney actually made reference to that in the concert about um, everybody who learns to play it plays it wrong. But she said she wanted to learn to play that. And then when, when he was playing it, you know, on stage in what was kind of a the least possible intimate setting, but it, it came off that way. Um, she turned to me in the middle and said, I want to learn to play this. So it was a pretty powerful um, uh, night, and obviously it's there aren't a million of these left. Paul McCartney is 77 or 78. Um, I, I think those kids will remember it. I know I will, and what I'll remember most is that you know, the three of us were there together experiencing this. And I saw Frank Sinatra uh, at the end of his career at Radio City Music Hall. And, you know, now I got to see McCartney and Ringo at Dodger Stadium, one of my favorite places in the world. And Dodger Stadium is the last place left that the Beatles played on their last tour in 1966. Their last concert was at Candlestick Park. Uh, No longer in existence in San Francisco. The night before they played that last concert at Candlestick Park, they played at Dodger Stadium. So what was that? Uh, I can't even do the math, but uh, 53 years later, right? They 53 years apart, they played Dodger Stadium, and I got to see the, the second go-around. That's pretty cool. I um I think they will definitely remember that. It's funny because when you think back of, of what you remember on different vacations as a kid, you remember those glorious moments like that concert, and you also remember the things that you absolutely didn't want to do that your parents made you do. And we had one of those when we were on the vacation, and this was at my insistence, and that is the, the morning after we went to Universal Studios in the theme park, I insisted that we take a hike in Runyon Canyon, which is one of my absolute favorite places in the world when I can get to L.A. and get to Runyon Canyon. It's just a spectacular place to go for a hike, beautiful views. And um, I think our son may have been the only one who didn't complain every single step of the way on well, that hike. Well, a, a couple of them just sat on a park bench and waited for us to ascend and then descend and, this and pick them up on the way back. after they did a, a mile of hiking, and we, we, we did our, a second mile that was a little bit more strenuous. Um, two of them opted out and just sat on a bench. 
our eight-year-old made it to to almost the uh, you know the apex of the climb, except that on the walk back from that point, which is about a half mile, I swear to God, every I was walking with her, you were with our son. Every step I took, she complained until it got to the point where I just said to her, either I said, just do the complaints in your head, but don't say them out loud. And she was incapable of doing that. So I said, all right, I'm going to walk 20 yards ahead of you. You'll still be able to see me. So you'll know you're safe. I'll know you're safe, but I will be out of earshot of listening to you complain. So I don't know if the, that last half mile when, when I was out of earshot, if she was still complaining just to herself or if she stopped. But um, but at least she did most of the hike. She just complained every single step of the way. So I think she will, without question, remember that just not as fondly as, uh, as our older ones oh, will remember the concert. For sure she'll remember it because I remember the most boring parts of our great family vacations from when I was a kid. So we went to Washington, D.C., which was really cool to see, you know, uh, the the Air and Space Museum or um, the, the White House. But we also went to Colonial Williamsburg, where we watched people churn butter on a 900-degree day when all we, we wanted to do. We did that same thing when I was a kid. And you hated it, right? I hated, hated it. Hated it. It was hot and uncomfortable, and there was nothing interesting about it to me. Nothing people whatsoever. People in their, their old colonial, school outfits. Yeah. yeah, the colonial outfits. <laughs> yes. And we went, we went to California when I was a kid, when I was 10, the same age that our son is now. And it just looms so large in my memory. Um, but I also remember the excruciatingly boring bits that we did that my mom wanted to do, including going to see the mission at San Juan Capistrano, where the swallows return every year to the same place. And and we passed Capistrano, and, and they have swallows all over the freeway sound barrier there. Um, we didn't stop. But I, I still remember how... how monumentally boring that was as a kid and and just like every house should have a room that you're not allowed to go into you know you can't sit on that couch that's just for company every vacation should have one of those at least one of those monumentally boring things that the kids are forced to do especially if it requires the dad to look at like a a a bronze historical marker and read it out loud to them right i don't think we did any of that we just did the hike which i i didn't find monumentally boring um they probably found it a little too physically taxing but um you know our oldest daughter i thought she might like it because it would give her enough insta photos that it would be worthwhile I think they will also remember, especially our oldest, had her ear pods in um, listening to music. She loves listening to music. So whenever we would be on the drive, especially the drive between L.A. and San Diego, she's in her ear pods. And she will definitely remember you every couple of miles insisting that she remove her ear pods so that you could explain the historical significance of something that we were driving by. I was thinking at the time I was finding it very interesting, but I'm certain she was finding it nothing but annoying that you were interrupting her um, music listening to explain something along, <laughs> along the route. But it's interesting. The technology changes, but every family road trip remains the cliche that it was 20 or 40 or 60 years earlier. I mean, it's hard enough when the kids have screens and you have to demand that they look up from an iPad to stare at the majesty of the rolling surf in the Pacific Ocean. Um, but when I was a kid, without the screens and all you were uh, left to do was to stare out the window or to fight with your siblings, I still didn't want to. I still didn't want my dad pointing out the historical 
uh, importance of this or that landmark that we were passing. But it's good to know that kids still do stare idly out the window, even with these other distractions. And our eight-year-old told me when we got home that when we were driving to LAX uh, on our last night, we had a red eye, a late night, 11.30 p.m. flight out of LAX. We had all day to kill between San Diego and L.A., and we found many ways to kill it. But she said as we were driving at the end of this long day to the airport, she said, I looked out the window and I saw I saw another driver uh, yawning. Right when I looked up, the other driver yawned. And she also said she saw another driver at an intersection rocking out, alone in the ca- their car, rocking out to something that they were listening to. And, you know, as a kid, our car vacations were were full of those things of every once in a while you would make eye contact with another driver and it would freak you out or you would just all you had to do was stare idly out at other cars and every once in a while particularly if you're in the back of a station wagon looking backwards you could see you could make eye contact with other kids sometimes they would frown sometimes they would flip you off sometimes they would hold up signs but there was nothing else to do we were um back home yesterday and we pulled into a uh, parking lot and and our eight-year-old looked out the car window and said mom look a ferrari and i looked over and it was actually a mustang but it, you could see the horse mustang logo on the car and since we just come from la where she did see plenty of ferraris because she was idly looking out the window of the car she um she recognized the, at least that logo and um I didn't want to tell her you will see a lot fewer Ferraris here in Connecticut than you saw last week in L.A. And they also wanted to see a Maserati in L.A. because of the song Old Town Road, the Maserati sports car, something on Rodeo, the Maserati sports car. So we did drive up Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, um, about as about as unwelcoming a place as you can imagine. Yeah. And while well, we didn't see a Maserati there, uh, we did see a Maserati somewhere else on the freeway, I think, and pointed it out to her, and she... She found that interesting. And while we're uh, boring people with our vacation slides, um, we should mention that, you know, the other sort of, there's the Hollywood sign. Um, There was, uh, you know, trying to see a Maserati sports car. And of course, there was the um, expected, we need one celebrity sighting while we're out there to make it a truly Southern California road trip. When I was a kid, when I was 10, we didn't. The celebrities I saw were Fred the Cockatoo from the TV show Beretta, which was mind blowing. We saw it perform at Universal Studios, and then I saw at the airport just before we were leaving to go back to Minnesota, Al Stewart, who I thought at the time was Rod Stewart's brother. He's not, um, but his song uh, "Time Passages" was on the radio at the time, and that was that was pretty mind blowing. Not so much in retrospect. So we needed to get a celebrity sighting and. When we were checking out of our hotel on the second day of the trip, before we were heading off to someplace else, our daughter spotted a lady from the show Dance Moms, and she she mildly freaked out and took a surreptitious selfie, I believe. I was surprised she she knew about this person because we have never watched Dance Moms, but she said one of her friends is obsessed with the show. And um, she sent it to the friend for verification. Yes. And so it was, I don't remember the woman's name, but I think it's the judge from Dance Moms. And and, and it was authenticated by her friend. And, um, and then we 
went from there to Universal Studios, where as we walked in the park, they were they were taping a segment for Extra, and it was Mario Lopez, the host and former Saved by the is Bell it star. Extra or Access Hollywood? Which one of those shows is he on? Is it Extra? It's one of the two. It's it's all the same. Yes, Mario Lopez was right there. Our our daughter, I think I got her uh, behind him. I took a picture from afar, and she was standing behind Mario Lopez. So I said, what are the odds that we get two two celebrity sightings, in her world anyway, um, while we were in Los Angeles? That That's at least one over the odds anyway. And then on our last day of the trip, as we were killing time on our way up, from San Diego, we we stopped again at Disneyland's the sister park there next to Disneyland, California Adventure. We hadn't been there, and the two older girls ran off on their own, and the three of us, uh, or the three of us, you and the two younger rode rides while I watched you ride rides, and I got a text from our oldest. She had gone to the Incredicoaster to ride the Incredicoaster, and. I got a text from her, a selfie with a Minnie Mouse-eared P. Diddy with whom she was riding the Incredicoaster. She was pretty um, pretty excited about that. And then we went on this water ride, and as we were waiting to get on the water ride, P. Diddy, and I think he had a couple of his daughters with him, um, they were getting off the water ride, so she saw P. Diddy twice at the uh, at the amusement park. So she definitely had her fair share of celebrity sightings. But P. Diddy in Minnie Mouse years at, at, at Disney or at California Adventure, even I thought that was uh, an unusual celebrity sighting. Was he wearing the shirt that said, what did it say, mouse Cold ears? Cold beers and mouse ears? Yes. Sadly, he was not. On that last day of the trip, there, we experienced a phenomenon that I know that you love uh, on the road, and that is and it wasn't the last day of the trip. It was the second to last day of the trip when we we had checked into our final hotel. And that first morning in the last hotel, we were all awakened in an, in an adjoining two rooms that adjoined each other. You know, we get the door between the hotel rooms and we left it open. So the alarm going off at 5.59 a.m. that had been set by the previous guest. How does that happen? I think it happens intentionally. It can only happen intentionally. How else could it happen? There's like a special kind of evil person, a traveler perhaps on a business, who sets the alarm for the next person. And not only did it happen the second to last day, it happened three days prior to that in my hotel room. Same thing, right at 6 a.m., the hotel alarm went off, and, um, and I'm turning it off. And it's infuriating. What kind of a person does that, sets the alarm for the next person especially you know and the thing is i said i told this to you i've never had this happen to me when i've been on business travel and i'm going to be waking up early anyway but twice on our vacation twice in what the seven mornings we woke up i i was awakened by an alarm going off at 6 a.m i just it's infuriating in my head i'm thinking okay somebody was checking out and they set their phone alarm because who uses the alarm clock anyway and but as a backup they set the alarm clock and their phone alarm went off they turned it off they checked out and then the alarm was still set but of course that alarm would have gone off the previous morning and somebody a housekeeper or somebody would have had to have turned it off right Right. 
I mean, part of it, you know, fool me once, shame on me. I, I suppose when we go into a hotel, we should check the alarm clock and make sure that it's not set for the following morning. It's um, like a ticking time bomb that somebody can, has but set. But seriously, what kind of a person does that? I don't know, but I, I certainly set set it for 4 a.m. for the next guest just, just to pay it forward. Comic-Con was in San Diego. This was in San Diego, and Comic-Con was in San Diego while we were there. And um, it attracted an interesting crowd of people. I was a little disappointed we didn't see more of the flamboyant, though. On the last day when we were driving, um, driving up through San Diego to get back to L.A. for our flight, we saw some people dressed up in... um, in comic book stuff and superhero stuff, but not nearly as many as I had hoped for. Granted, it was early on a on Saturday morning. I suppose if we had gone Friday night, it would have been a little bit uh, more exciting. But but we did see a a car, a sports car, in, that had been freshly painted in a sort of Jackson Pollock spatter style of uh, rainbow colors. It was really striking. And then we saw that car parked on the street in front of a Panera where we were having breakfast. Yes. And there was a guy, the presumed the artist uh, who painted the car, wearing a suit spattered in the, in the exact same pattern, but with fresh paint. And he was standing outside the Panera. The car was parallel parked on the sidewalk, and he was just kind of uh, standing outside the car, and people were coming up and taking photographs and whatnot. And there were two retirees sitting in the window of that Panera, two tables away from us. And one guy in a Hawaiian shirt, and they're, the other guy drinking coffee. They're both drinking coffee, and they're both looking out at this spectacle. And the one guy says to the other, and I just, I just love this. The one guy says to the other, he didn't say it with, with uh, critically or with envy or anything. He just said, now there's a guy with no responsibilities. <laughs> Did he say this before or after the guy spray painted his wheel? Because while he was parked there, he took out a can of, I think, bright yellow spray paint. Sort of hot pink. Yeah, or hot pink and spray painted the wheel. So, um, but of course, right, now this is my question to you. Which guy are you going to be when you're retired? Are you going to be the Jackson Pollock-like guy spray painting his BMW a variety of colors? Or are you going to be the guy inside the Panera commenting on it? Well, it wouldn't be a BMW, and and the guy, the artist, wasn't of retirement age, I should say. But uh, oh no, no, I, I I very much hope to be the guy sitting in the window of Panera, uh, Statler and Waldorf from the Muppet right. Show, commenting on the on the the passing parade of humanity. Uh, did you take much a, as I did at the amusement parks while sitting on a bench and and waiting for you to get off rides? Did you take a picture of the guy in the car? I did. All right, um, I'll make sure to post that on our Instagram, which is at Ball and Chain podcast and so people can take a look at what exactly we're talking about one of um, the things that just delighted me when we were out there is um, I don't remember which park we were at what ride we were on but directly across from where I was sitting with a couple of our kids was this little boy not too little I guess he was probably about 11 or 12 years old red hair freckle-faced boy and he was on the ride with two boys who were a little bit younger than him and uh and at one point he said to the kids, you know, um, you know, when, when we get up to, up high, I'm going to scream. And he said, screaming makes you less scared. It's been scientifically proven. 
And I just loved it because he said it with such authority because, of course, he was the oldest of this trio of boys and the two younger boys are looking at him like nodding and probably, I don't know how many years, um, they will believe that screaming makes you less scared and it's been scientifically <laughs> proven. It was um, it was so sweet. It's been scientifically proven as, as really an argument stopper. Right, right. <laughs> well, we had a, we had a great time. Probably a better time than than you are having you the listener having listening having to the to second listen half. To this. But uh, I love Southern California. I've never lived there. Maybe it's because I've never lived there that I love it. I don't have to commute there or anything. And um, just the the mellifluous place and street names. You know, La Cienega, Sepulveda, Ventura, Topanga, Cahuenga. Pico, out by the airport, there's, I always I always think of that Interceptor. That's one of the streets out by the airport, Interceptor. What is that? And and when you go up the 405 and you pass Slauson Avenue, every time you leave LAX to go towards LA, you pass Slauson Avenue. I think of Johnny Carson's, the Slauson cutoff. Get out of your car and cut off your Slauson. Art Fern would say that is Carson. And it's, uh, anyway, I, I, I love it. I love it out there. You, not so much. No, I, 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 I really enjoyed our vacation. I don't think I'd want to live out there. I think I told you if I was going to pick a city, I would always pick New York over L.A. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't making this a zero-sum No, game. no, no, I'm just saying I'm, I'm more of a New York person than I am an L.A. So person. So am I. I'm, and, uh, I lived in New York for 10 years. And, and, and I, really, I really liked L.A. I absolutely could not see myself living out there. Could you see yourself living out there full time? Well, as I say, if I didn't have to drive a lot of places, which which generally I don't as a writer, mm-hmm. um, then then sure, why not? We could FaceTime <laughs> or text <laughs> or, or not. Well, I think we've said it all. Should we get to viewer mail? Yes, we should definitely get to viewer mail. Okay. Big bad look, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. This first viewer mail comes from Joe. He signs uh, signs off as Joe Ball and Chain Foreign Correspondent. This is from our foreign correspondent, um, though he's reporting this time from Dateline, Atlanta, Georgia. Reporting in from Atlanta Airport, writes Joe, 7.35 a.m. from the Braves All-Star Cafe, where apparently day passenger drinking is alive and well. This gent, and he encloses a photograph of a gentleman day drinking at the bar of the Braves All-Star Cafe, this gent is pounding down a Tito's and soda, prepping for a domestic flight to somewhere, or perhaps to a corporate location to participate in a round of corporate lingo bingo. <laughs> oh, I like that. Corporate lingo bingo? I do, yes. So, 735M, he is the only one at the bar, I must say, but who doesn't enjoy a bracing Tito's and soda at 735AM? I'm hoping one of our listeners will come up, you know, we've I've posted before AAU bingo, I, um from their Twitter handle, AAU Bingo. I hope one of our listeners will come up with corporate speak lingo bingo that you can play when you're on a conference call. The challenge is set. This is from Karen in Connecticut. Karen writes, um, my husband and I listen every week to the podcast. We love it. It brought such nice memories hearing of your son keeping score of baseball games. I used to keep score of Red Sox games in the 70s when I was in high school. I would listen to Ned Martin and Ken Coleman on the radio before we had cable TV that benighted age before cable TV. Mm -hmm. 
allows me to plug Knights in White Castle, uh, in which I recount the historic day when cable TV came to our house in Bloomington, Minnesota in the 80s. Uh, Karen continues, we just got back from a trip out west. How timely. We went from Providence to Seattle with a layover in Minneapolis. Our luggage was lost along the way. Our airline sent us an apology email refunding the cost of baggage fee for our luggage, quote, being separated, end quote, from us. (laughs) It wasn't separated. It was lost for two days, and they didn't know where it was. Sounds like that Friends episode when Rachel and Ross were on a break. I guess our luggage was on a break from us. When we were in California, writes Karen, we went to Mass. The priest announced there would be two additional lines for communion for those who wanted gluten-free communion wafers. And there were long lines. Such a California thing. You know, we used to have gluten-free communion hosts, and then they stopped doing that. Yeah, they did. I don't know why. But you would see maybe two or three people throughout the course of a Mass um, getting communion who would ask for the gluten-free. One last thing for those who need encouragement to exercise, writes Karen. My husband, chocolate frosting guy, a part-time basketball coach slash engineer in his 50s. Do you, remember, just his, do you remember the reference? I do. Just did his first triathlon, and he lived and finished. Congratulations, chocolate frosting guy. He introduced himself to us at a, bas- at a high school basketball game this year as chocolate frosting guy. The guy who would take the chocolate frosting out of the fridge and eat it with a spoon. Well, congratulations to the chocolate frosting guy for finishing a Is triathlon. He's now a triathlon guy. Triathlete and chocolate well frosting done. guy. If you're a triathlete, you can be chocolate frosting exactly. guy. Exactly. Finally, 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 Karen writes, do your kids know you tell stories about them on the podcast? Do they listen to it? Do they ask for a cut of the action since they're providing stories for you? Thanks for the podcast. Keep up the good work, Karen. Um, the kids, yes, do know that they are sometimes pod fodder. They just, but I don't think any of them has listened to even a second of the podcast. No, no, on the contrary. One of them just came down while we were recording this podcast Uh, at nine o'clock in the morning and she had just woken up and saw that we were doing the podcast and kind of rolled her eyes and returned back upstairs yes she'll be expecting breakfast any minute so let me proceed with viewer mail steve and rebecca writes george my monocle dealer in columbus on a recent podcast rebecca suggested that the folks at white castle headquarters should take an interest in promoting your new book knights in white castle last week one of my patients mentioned that his wife is an executive at white castle I told him about the upcoming release of Knights in White Castle and later emailed him a link to Steve's website to share with his wife. Out of curiosity, I checked the White Castle website to make sure they were not already acknowledging your book. I could not find a mention, but Steve, did you know that White Castle has a Cravers Hall of Fame? There is indeed a White Castle Cravers Hall of Fame, Rebecca. Um, is that available for viewing on the website? I'll their, have website to check it has, out. their website has pictures and profiles of all of the 2018 inductees. And they're accepting online applications now for the class of 19. You have until September 30th to submit an application. This is sort of like uh, calling back our California trip, the Hollywood Walk of Fame, where you have to pay a fee and be nominated to to get a star on the Walk of Fame. There were some obscure stars on the Walk of Fame and some, you know. Some big stars, which is located right near Man's Chinese Theater, yeah, yeah. which has handprints and, and footprints. footprints. And uh it was now an okay time to bring up Absolutely. the fact that there was one set. There was one set of footprints that were bigger than your and my feet, and that was Vince Vaughn. I thought you were going to say Chewbacca. <laughs> Everyone else has – it's amazing, the tiny feet I, of these actors and actresses. I tweeted a photograph of, of my size 12 sneaker next to John Wayne's cowboy boot print. Yeah. 
it was nearly twice as long as yeah. his, what was he, a, a size six and a half or something? The most amazing one to me was the footprint, the shoe Susan print. Susan Sarandon. Susan Sarandon, which was... Uh, barefoot, barefoot footprint. It it looked like um, one of our of daughter's a, uh, Barbie doll shoes had been used, or a Barbie doll foot had been used. It was... I've never the, seen feet that, that, that there was like some kind uh, of a forest sprite. How are they big enough to hold up, hold her up, even if Susan Sarandon is 4'11", and 79 pounds those feet that made that footprint i don't think are big enough to hold up that frame that was that was my biggest takeaway from when we went to the hollywood walk of fame in that area was the tiny tiny feet of so many actors and actresses so anyway thank you vince vaughn for having human what i consider real human sized feet it was it was it was amazing um Back to viewer mail here. Uh, uh, Scott writes, I'm currently reading Road Swing, and some of your anecdotes bring back memories of my uncle, Jim Schneider, who was an assistant sports information director at the University of Michigan. One of the teams that he supported was Michigan's baseball team. In addition to doing the normal SID activities, he ran the scoreboard, chose the stadium music, and did the PA announcing at Ray Fisher Stadium. In a game in 1983, Casey Close was on first base, and Dan Saigar was at the plate. Saigar had a grounder to short, and Close was forced at second while Saigar beat the relay throw to first. My, uncle P- my uncle's PA statement after the play was, Close, but no Saigar. <laughs> That's fantastic. I hope I'm pronouncing Saigar's last name. Casey Close, of course, went on to become Derek Jeter's agent. I'm going to move on to uh, an email that we got from John. John is is going to be our net dealer. He's the one who's written in before. He, he I've sent him our address, and he's going to be sending me some both cloth nets and he said also some metal chain nets um, for whenever we see a park that has a rim that's gone netless. But my favorite part is he sent a picture, and he said, while taking a Father's Day walk with my wife, I spotted this rim netless. We were a few miles from our car where I had a few basketball nets stashed away just in case I came across a netless rim. Needless to say, my wife would not let me go back to give them a net. And the reason it's needless to say is because the netless rim was at someone's house in their driveway. And anyway, in a subsequent email, he said to me that he did go back with a net. No one was home. So he left the net at their house with a little note. He did not install the net. But I just think that's fantastic that he's taken it to a whole new level. Forget parks that have rims where the net is broken or not working to replace. He is actually private homes. A private home. And it was there it's not even like the net was ripped. There was no net at all on this rim and um, he has since gone and left them one. So that's the John, next. I mean, well, well done. Hello, Stephen, Rebecca. I hope this finds you well, writes uh, Michael from the Dominican Republic. Any email headed greetings from the Dominican Republic, I'm I'm going to open. Um, Hello, Stephen, Rebecca. I hope this finds you well. Here's an attempt at illuminating the podcast's semi-recent queries about one, applauding during airplane landings. During a recent summer trip to Argentina, Miyuki and I had the opportunity to fly to a few cities. Each and every time we landed in one Argentinian city or another, the entirety of the cabin burst into applause. I guess that's how they do it in Argentina. Hmm. I have flown in Argentina, and the the entire plane did applaud on on landing safely. Uh, two emotional support animals in Buenos Aires. We happened upon 
the Lobo Cafe, and he encloses a picture of the Lobo Cafe in Buenos Aires. It sort of has a TGI Friday red and white awning vibe to it. Please see the attached photo. The fine print on the front window declares Patisserie and Cafe Animal. As we walked past, I saw no evidence of any emotional support alligators, cats, snakes, dogs, pursed or non-pursed, pigs or ducks. This, of course, then begs the question, does cafe animal mean that they serve animals or that they serve animals? <laughs> we did not stick around to find out. Finally, whilst on our Argentine adventure, I greatly enjoyed Road Swing. It proved the perfect and hilarious traveling companion. Looking forward to nights in White Castle to end this fine summer on a high note. May you and your family enjoy the rest of the summer. I remain Michael. Thank you, Michael. And thanks for the picture of the Lobo Cafe. We will have to go there sometime. Lastly, BNC Travels. We've had a lot of correspondence from abroad this summer. Uh, Rebecca and Steve writes Billy Gallagher, Billy with two L's. Any relation to Denny with one N? I think I there might so. be. Uh, Rebecca and Steve just wanted to contribute to the world travels of the BNC pod. I was in Montreal in May for a conference, so attached is a picture of the BNC magnet in front of Basilique Notre-Dame de Montreal. The other picture is the BNC magnet at Parc Olympique Lyonnais just over a week ago at the final game of the World Cup. So here is, here is the ball and chain magnet being held up in front of the Women's World Cup final in Lyon. That's pretty cool, don't you think? That's very, very cool. Whatever happened in that game? The U.S. won, didn't they? I think they did. Where we saw the world champion U.S. women's national team beat the Netherlands to defend their title. So you can now add Quebec and France to your map. We will do that. Anything you wanted to add, Rebecca? Thank you, you, Billy. I'll just say that this coming weekend I will be in Las Vegas at uh, performing on that. No, I will be in Las Vegas for the WNBA All-Star Game. So hopefully when I return next week's podcast, we'll have some delightful stories of some of the things that happened in Vegas and didn't stay in Vegas. Ooh, I look forward to hearing that. I'm, I'm headed to Brooklyn tomorrow where I may or may not meet up with Denny Gallagher for brunch. So we can hear all about that as well on next week's podcast. What a tease. Oh, gee, I, 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 you're trembling with anticipation, I'm sure. Well, thank you for indulging our, uh, our vacation slides. We haven't heard uh, uh, from Tom, Dick, and Harry for a while. So Tom, Dick, Harry. Play us out. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pad live in this cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and ambiguous, well, we give for a little rest. It's day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.